go. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to another episode of the Steve and George podcast. To begin, the poet Percy Shelley once said that all of us who are worth anything spend our manhood in unlearning the follies or expiating the mistakes of our youth. And that's a rather apt quote for today's topic because George and I are going to be talking about mistakes we made in our 20s or at least things we struggled with in our 20s uh, that we have hopefully learned from, perhaps gleaned some life lessons, some ways to do things differently and things we are still working on today. Um, George, how are you, old friend? I'm well. Uh... You know what? I'm I'm not a big fan of poetry, Steve. You got right. me back up when you read that out. Right, and just because it was a poet, is that? Oh, I don't know. There's just something like, who's he writing that to? You know, it's like where's he saying that? I don't know. There's just something about it that's all just a bit. I don't know, a bit frilly for me. Not frilly, but like performative. There's something a, a bit of a veneer of falseness to it. I find that- it hard to read life lessons in something so like sort of structured and that's from a man ladies and gentlemen who reads a hundred books a year who is uh slamming poetry <laughs> um uh, i don't know what to make of that i mean this is what one one day george we'll do a podcast about our our reading habits on this issue because i'm obviously a much bigger fan of shakespeare than you are mr oh, bill shakes do not get me uh, started I love to read a bit of poetry. I read a lot of poetry too. It's more the, the preaching a life, like a life lesson taught in a poetic form. I, you know, it's like, where was he writing it down? It's not like a text or a message he sent his friend or a note he left to himself. It's like very, I don't know, the artifice of it, I find, I find a bit off-putting sometimes. Well, it's a wonderful quote to begin <laughs> I think we can all agree on that. Um, um, wisdom. So, George, um, you know, I think this is useful for our... I think this is going to be a really fun one for our listeners because, one, we'll get to talk about some of our foibles and flaws and, uh, you know, some of the hopelessness with which we begun our 20s. And uh, I think people will find a lot of takeaways and things that, Maybe I, I think it's very useful to I, I, I don't I'm not a big look look back kind of person. I, I'm not someone who tries, you know, I, I try and look forward a lot. I try and think about what I'm trying to do now. But I do actually find when I take the time to reflect on the mistakes I made and the things I could have done better, I do find it helps sharpen my focus now when I'm trying to deal with a difficult career decision or a love decision. And I think, you know what? what are the mistakes I've made before and what, how am I going to be better from them? So um, how do you assess your 20s, George? Do you have an overall picture of them? Thumbs up? <laughs> uh, yeah, I suppose so. Um, I think once again, we've approached this slightly differently because I've kind of tied all of the things I have to work with from I'm kind of comparing the age of 20 to how I am now rather than the journey through the decade that was my 20s, which... I suppose it's a bit like one of those snapshots where a a parent doesn't see their kid growing up because they see them every day, but, you know, a great uncle comes back and, oh, wow, look how much you've grown. I think pinpointing just one age makes it a bit easier for me to see because 
lots of these changes and developments that we make are gradual processes, right? So it's um, it's kind of hard to see when they actually took root, but I'm more mindful that at that age I wasn't doing this thing well, whereas I made a decision to do something and it changed. So that's kind of how I've gone at this. That's true. That's a good point. Um, yeah, looking at the cut between the two, because you do, I, I find there's not, there's not great epiphanies so much in life. You just almost, you make these gradual shifts. Uh, you know, you keep turning in little degrees and degrees and before you know it, you kind of, you know, maybe done a 180, but it's... it's yeah, or, or they do, all those gradual things do come from an epiphany, but they might take a while to implement, right? Like even something as basic as something starts going to the gym, it's not like the epiphany isn't going to make you fit. It's actually following it out. But having the epiphany in the first place is in of itself probably the most important stage. Yeah, yeah, that's probably right. Um, so where do you want to begin on this? How do we how do we get our teeth <laughs> for this topic? What's uh, when you think of you at twenty, George? What uh, do you feel? Do you look back and sort of shake your head? Do you think like, oh god, I was hopeless, or do you kind of? You know, do you feel like you were a very different person to how you are now? I think, I think probably at my core, I don't think I'm a, a different person in terms of my, uh, I don't know, um, in terms of my kind of innate sort of positions on the more general things, like, I don't know, my sort of political outlook, that sort of stuff I don't think has massively changed. And I feel <laughs> like I'm generally the same person for the broader brushstrokes things like how I like to treat my friends, that sort of stuff. I don't really believe I've changed, but there's some really kind of just life skills that, yeah, are drastic differences where I look back and think, good Lord, what were you, what were you playing at? Um, I mean, I could start with a fairly frothy one, which is just uh, 20 might be slightly too late to pin this on, but at that, just around that stage of my life, I just had a terrible haircut, a terrible <laughs> terrible haircut and my like one of the points i have on here is early on get a good haircut if you're a guy like just get that sorted as soon as possible <laughs> this is like a stupid thing to call a regret because it's not something i did or had agency to address but i always like i always wish that when i was around that age someone probably a girl would come up to me and just say like sort that hair out mate do this you know just like you know get it cut my hair was kind of very long and shapeless and didn't do anything for me not to say i have the world's best hair now but yeah like that there were probably so many issues like just directly stem from not really knowing how to present myself um and i wish that someone external to me would have just told me and that's not to say that your presentation should be to please someone externally but they're often best placed to see through your insecurities and that's that's like a sort of a silly one that has some larger ramifications for me i think yeah that's interesting i i can well i mean if a girl came up to you though and said that wouldn't you have told her to get stuffed at that age <laughs> no i'd have said thank you so much would you uh, probably i mean if it was yeah probably would you know if she came over and she said I'm, I'm, I'm clearly not hitting on you. I'm here with my boyfriend, right? There's no, there's no opportunity for anything to be happening with us. This is just as an objective sort of piece of input for you. Imagine for a, that. Yeah, I know. I know it's never going to happen, but how useful would that be? It would just save, 
it just saved a lot of anxiety. That's probably something that needed to happen slightly earlier, maybe when I was like 16. But do you know what I mean? Like, let me, just start, when... let, me, let me just start by saying I'm not attracted to you at all in any way. I, <laughs> just I just, just to, to remove any anxiety in the interaction, you know, like if you're a guy who often doesn't get yourself into those sorts of situations and someone then comes over and just says a bit of objective advice, don't worry, you're not, you don't have to think on your feet here or be cool. I'm just telling you, maybe sweep sweep that back short back and sides you know you'll be up and running um, um, it'd be useful advice you'd have to be quite a rude person to come up to someone and do that though sometimes you? that's what you need you know <laughs> sometimes it is. yeah sometimes you get those you do get those brutal opinions i remember someone once actually a friend of mine who i you know probably thank really but i was go- i was gonna go on a date george in my early 20s and just he just I went I went I don't know why I asked him at the time but I was like anything you think I should do before the date and he went um he went I would shave that that German housefrau monobrow you've got going on <laughs> good advice and I just instantly realized then I don't shave like I don't ever shave that middle bit in my eyebrow yeah. like maybe once I'd plucked it or something and ever since then it was just like make sure to tidy up that middle bit so you don't get a monobrow that was good, one, good one, advice right it's... yeah yeah and to be fair that was quite that was good stuff for him to give me then so yeah it, it can be brutal but um yeah fair enough so get a haircut uh... <laughs> one more i think the bigger point there is probably like know what knowing what works for you if we're just sort of talking about the sort of fairly trite issue of appearance knowing what works for you and having that sorted out the sooner the better kind of thing is quite a useful a useful thing i i don't really change how i dress much i fairly consistently i have a lot of the same clothes now that i had 10 years ago because they fit and they're a sort of style that i stick to um it's like if you know what works for you you can almost create a bit of a uniform and a look for yourself where you don't have to stress too much about it or get caught up in wearing things that don't work out for you it's you know it's true that certain things don't suit certain people so try and avoid or try and minimize the period of time spent not being the best self you can be in that way i guess yeah i do get jealous when i look at when i look at people who are about 14 now and have already really good fashion sense yeah or like they already seem to have already dressed for their shape and stuff and i think i took years to figure yeah. that out like i didn't even in my early 20s and stuff, I just, I, I probably thought I was really sexy and cool with certain things. And, but, but now I look back, I just didn't quite know what things fit, what shoes you should wear with certain trousers and just, just basic things where I'm like, oh God, that must yeah, be. Yeah, that's, and that's with the hair thing. I think really what I mean is like, there's a lot of probably like subconscious decisions that you make. Like I used to wear my hair quite forward over my forehead when I was younger, maybe I had like some spots on my forehead and I'd be worried about it. So I'd hide them that way, like subconsciously probably. But if you've got your hair hanging down in front of your face and you, you know, it's, if you're doing it for a kind of a negative reason, it's not, it's not good. So it's almost like just sort of style it better and own it more. I wish I knew that earlier on. That would, that would be useful advice. And yeah, the clothes stuff definitely, definitely follows on from that my <laughs> i have a point number two on my page is learn to dress yourself right yeah i mean you you probably found a style though at a certain point i think in your mid-20s where you were pretty you know you were pretty happy in a 
I feel like you kind of you kind of settled into what you liked and didn't like. Yeah, I think so. Maybe probably earlier, to be honest, like yeah. twenty-one or twenty-two. Um, yeah, and one, I kind of know that that's me now, and I I'm not going to be the sort of person that will turn up at a party wearing like a, a not to poo poo. I'm not going to be the guy who turns up wearing a leather jacket and ripped jeans. It's just not going to be me. I've never tried it, and it's it's just not my style. I know what I think works for me. And I'll kind of stick to it, probably. Um, I, as at the age of twenty, Steve, I sat, <laughs> I sat in my student room at my undergraduate university and spent, I don't know, probably two hours teaching myself to tie a bow tie. Just sat there and taught myself to do it. And I thought, you know, this is done now. I've got this in the bag. Don't have to worry about it anymore. Well, and then you, you subsequently, many years later, taught me. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it is one, of the great, it is one of the great skills to master. And that, again, it sort of ties into a few other sort of positions I take, really, where uh, get those... It, it is really trite, because if it doesn't matter, if it's not something that's on your radar, it's stupid advice to give someone. But if you're ever going to be in a situation where you need to have something like that, you have to wear a bow tie or go to a formal event do it properly is kind of my position on those things don't um when i be when i was younger i wouldn't know how to do those things and you can often leave yourself either feeling a bit insecure or just feeling like you're not doing something properly or you're wearing a costume and if you just get yourself to the point where it's actually quite natural and you do it quote unquote properly you're not going to be feeling um like an imposter and often you're going to be kind of standing out for knowing how to do something like that correctly. I think that's quite good for me, at least that's quite a good way to be. And it's something I've, I've followed through. I sort of sat there and thought I have to go to this black tie event. I'm just going to make sure I can dress myself like an adult. Um, yeah. Shockingly at the age of 30, I would say most often most men can't dress themselves yeah. appropriately. Well, you taught me don't use a clip-on and wear a pocket square. And those were big things I took to heart. That people notice. Perfect. Yeah, so... Um, it's like wearing Velcro shoes, isn't it? You wouldn't have, I mean, 30-year-old man wearing Velcro shoes. It's not, not okay. I do think when you get to 30... There are some men when you look at... Or you get to 30 and you think, that, that is elementary now. When you've yeah. got like... You know, if you're wearing jeans that completely hang all the way over your shoe sort of yeah. thing and just look ridiculous, like the length is completely wrong, you just think that's that's now you're pushing it. You you can't get away with that now. There's plenty of material out there explaining how to avoid these things, right? It's not like this it's not like insider information. Yeah. Wear clothes, just, wear clothes that fit you. Yeah, I don't think it's about how stylish you have to be. It's just Making massive fashion faux pas, like really sort of get like glaring one. I think, I think like you, you, it's like you want to say to them, you look sixteen. Because you're doing <laughs> yeah. that. That's like a sixteen-year-old can be shrugged off for doing that, but you know, come on. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, fair play, mate. I've uh, I've put on here. Um, I've put on here one, George. I think in my 20s i wish i'd gone with my gut a little bit more Interesting. and i'm not talking about more binge eating because lord knows i did plenty <laughs> of that um uh 
Yeah, I do, I do wish I'd figured out nutrition sooner, actually. That's, mm. that's probably... I, I, I very incrementally got a bit better every year in my 20s, but it, it definitely took me quite a long time to, yeah, just, just get the part of having having a genuinely balanced diet right. But I think that was more psychological. Like you say, I knew what I should do at certain points, but it was almost just, just psychologically not. There's also yeah. a trend with those things as well, I think, making the decisions at least kind of trend in the right direction. I mean, yes, all being right. well, you're going to have like a long and sort of, um, yeah, a long life. As long as you're kind of making progress on, on that front continuously, then things are only going to get better, right? Yeah, that's true. And, and that's true with things like productivity and stuff as well. I yeah. think you just need to be trending towards learning how to be more effective. But um, yeah, going with my gut on that, where I think there's, you know, there's a lot of big decisions and this applies to anyone in their thirties as well, who, you know, we, you, you, you start to, you're always trying to orient the compass, like what work should I choose? Education, relationship, um, you know, where I want to go and the experiences I want to have. And I think there's times where I was far too, um, I think, I think at some, there's, there's definitely points where I ignored my gut to my detriment in my twenties. And it's, uh, when you say ignored it, you mean you were offered opportunities and you said no to things or you just didn't follow up on something internally to you and other people weren't aware. It be, sometimes it would be my gut flaring up as a warning sign of being, of thinking you don't want to do this or you're not sure this is a good decision, but I would talk myself into it or allow other people to talk me into it because right. it was their opinion that it was something that was worth doing. And uh, so an example, um, a clear example of ignoring my gut might just be a relationship where yeah. that's my fault. But um, ones where I probably fell into relationships to certain relationships, certainly not all of them, but certain ones too easily and unthinkingly. Um, and, and probably it's not even so much falling into them. It's almost when I realize maybe this relationship isn't quite working and I would just ignore these big warning signs my gut was giving me that felt like, oh, something's wrong here. I don't feel maybe this is the right person for me or the right thing I want right now. And I would just kind of suppress and hope that would go away. And Why would you do it? Was that to kind of save face with yourself? Um, it wasn't. That I, w- I was never ashamed too much of like, like a relationship ending. Yeah, I, don't, I don't even mean specific to relationships, but just that trait was it. I've made this decision. I need to see it almost like, you know, like loss aversion. Um, I think it was, sometimes it was going for comfort and what's easy in the moment. And it was, it's easier to just keep going with this rather than to make a ruckus and maybe say, I'm not sure this is right for me. And, you know, maybe thinking, Oh, this might really upset someone and I'm not sure. And maybe let me think about it more. You know, I, I, would, I would go away and think maybe if I analyze and think about this a lot more, I'll, I'll figure something out. Do you know what I mean? And, mm-hmm. and often I found that, that that thinking process didn't really ever yield a lot. It was just me pointlessly stewing on a situation and, and prolonging it instead of taking some decisive action and maybe voicing, even just voicing, maybe if I voiced my issues quicker, certain things wouldn't be such a big problem or, or if I, I could solve them more, but I would kind of allow myself to suffer alone in silence, brooding on something. And then it would, it would eventually come out in a massive ball of anxiety and like, 
you know, just, just feeling like, oh my God, I've got to, you know, I remember one time I was completely overwhelmed at, in undergraduate and uh, I had, there was stuff where, um, yeah, I, I remember like stuff at home was difficult at the time. It wasn't great. And then stuff at university, there was like final exams, all this pressure. And then there was this relationship that I wasn't sure was going great. And I was, I was just not addressing anything and I was just stuffing it all away. And instead of these sort of deep gut feelings of being like, I've got to do something about this, I would just kind of, yeah, I would kind of ignore them. And uh, yeah, I, I think that's not great. And I think in, and, and just to, to broaden this out, I think even in choosing your, say you're, you're choosing a university to go to or choosing a, yeah, I think a partner, things like that. I think your gut does tell you something it's not always, I don't, I'm not sort of an intuitionist where your intuition is always a genius, but in certain things where it's like, what's right for you, your intuition usually is giving you quite important warning signals. You know, it's like if you suddenly you're working with someone and you realize, oh, there's something not good about this relationship or there's something that doesn't work for me about whatever, um, a work situation, your, it's your gut telling you something that is trying to steer you. And, and I just kind of think now I've always done well by listening to that. Yeah, um, I, I, I certainly agree, though. I do think that is something that with me has crystallized. I'm, I'm very confident in that in myself now as a 30-year-old. But my, my kind of equivalent to your point here is I sort of, I did the same thing as you, but in the opposite way, because I... I would always say no to things from the outset rather than maybe getting into a situation and then thinking, Oh, maybe this isn't right. I'll stick with it. I just would never, never do anything to allow myself to be in a position where I didn't feel uncomfortable or let myself get into a position where I thought I might feel uncomfortable right. to my detriment. To the point where I'd just be saying no to everything. And I think a big one of those big changes for me that probably came a bit later, maybe at 23 or 24, was sort of changing my attitude from I'm going to stop saying no to every opportunity and start say yes to everything. But, you know, yeah, really say yes to opportunities of things I would have said no to before. Oh, do you want to come to this party? It'll probably be rubbish. Go on then. And something good will come of it. I think that kind of slightly more positive outlook kind of came about a bit later than it should have done. But you just have so much, I don't know, you get so much positive reinforcement from making that decision, or I certainly have, that nothing bad is really going to happen. I mean, someone offers you, like, to smoke crack, say no, sure. But, like, I don't, I don't mean, I don't even mean like that, really, like the partaking sort of thing, but just an opportunity is available. You might as well do it or go and get involved with something. And I spent far too long just avoiding everything, Right. Oh, I might. I might not like that, or I don't. I don't like that vibe, really, without trying it. And I think it. It make it puts you in a very difficult position after a while because you just end up limiting your opportunities. Um, yeah, that's so interesting because I got in. In a way, I I've had to reconnect with what what you're talking. About. I feel like I had. I was a partaker more when I was younger mm. and at some point grew into a bit more of a, a yeah. bit more set in ways again. And I've had to relearn um, just trying things again and being willing to be like, because, because I got to a stage where I'm like, I know what I like and I'm just going to say no to these things because I don't want to do that. Yeah. And, See, I was like that from very early on. Right. We've kind of done it 
almost we've kind of crossed over on like an X app, like, you know, we've gone across each other um, on, on the axis, on a graph of it, because yeah, I, I would be so sort of forthright in my opinions that my opinions haven't necessarily changed, but I'd be forthright in, in how I thought things would pan out and really experience tells you that most of the time, I, I guess those decisions come from a place of like insecurity or I'm like, yeah, maybe it's like fear and, <laughs> very quickly I think the biggest lesson I learned at around the age of 20 is that frankly no one cares about what you're doing they just care about themselves and the opportunities for yeah. great social embarrassment are just so 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 much less than you think they are um, no one cares particularly if everyone is that age people just care about their own stuff they're not looking at you they don't care what you're wearing they don't care if you had a bad haircut or what you said really unless you do something outrageous but you know day to day it's not worth worrying about those kinds of things so just letting that go is such a freeing experience i think yeah yeah i think um i think for me reputation was not a thing that i that that wasn't something i freaked out or worried about so much as um my my obsession was i don't know if i'm going off track here um, my obsession was like, make, I didn't want to make big mistakes. Mm. I didn't want to like, I, I didn't mind doing little things and, and trying di- all these different things. But I, like you say, you were more, I think in your early twenties, you were much more closed to a lot of things. Right. Yeah. And I, I was very much a plunger where I was just like, kind of got to university and I was like, I'm going to try and do this and I'm going to be in this society. I'm going to be in the entrepreneur society. I'm going to, you know, join up with the newspaper and do some journalism thing. And so I was definitely a sort of like going into the buffet thing. Um, But um, my thing was, my thing was I was always, I was always afraid to have too much fun for fear of, because, because I think it was always drummed into me that achievement was such a big, it was such a big part of being raised in my family was you can kind of, you have to be achieving something. Um, I think that's probably from my dad, but but there was a lot of pressure to get good grades from my parents. There was pressure to succeed, whatever that means. There was pressure to um, do be successful in your endeavors and work. And so I, it was always for me, like I I was always scared to be too off the track. It was always like, oh no, I mate, I was constantly wrestling myself. Maybe I shouldn't go out tonight because I've got to focus on this and. I was always coming back to probably probably me looking back I think I wish I wasn't so mm, I don't know if it's good to say I wish I wasn't because I'm not sure what I regret really but I I think I was very serious about my like work all the time yeah and I don't know if I needed to be as I think I could have been as good at my work without being as stressed about it if that makes sense yeah for sure Uh, I definitely think I made things harder than they needed to be, made things more more serious and more difficult. I, I could have just enjoyed the social aspect and got my work done and just kind of done both happily. But I used to kind of beat myself up and sometimes go out with friends but beat myself up about now I have to work more when I get home. And uh, just all this kind of, uh, you know, self-torturing stuff. And if, if there's anything I really, really want to take into my 30s and that I take to heart now is I don't want to sacrifice present enjoyment for some kind of vaguely promised future pleasure yeah. 
Like I, I, I get you have to delay gratification and, and work hard and all those things, but I don't like the idea of, oh, the way to do that is I have to feel stress and pain now because that means what I'm doing is valuable if I'm feeling, if I'm feeling struggle, you know? Yeah, uh, well, and also, I mean, if the things you're sacrificing are things like spending a really nice amount of time with your friends, delaying gratification is never going to, you're never going to have a nicer, better time with your friends in 10 years' time. You know, it's like, that's not something that, exponentially becomes this much more amazing thing you like your friends now and you like spending time with them it's not going to change if you work a lot harder right that's like a level of gratification that will kind of remain a great constant in your life so you may as well enjoy it now yeah yeah exactly and and it's um yeah it's funny when i look at I, i used to again i did this with relationships as well and and had this very i think what was drummed into me was a very kind of old fashioned some kind of Calvinist Protestant work ethic of there's, there's some kind of, it's only valuable if you are, you have to prove you are taking on more than you can handle almost. And right. being, you know, work is good. And if you're overworked, that means that's good because being work, you know, being overworked means you're, you're achieving something and you've got goals and you're working hard. And, and I just somehow think that, that ideology was very, very pervasive in my, uh, in my family. And so I think I learned, I had to learn how to just enjoy the things I was doing. Like now I look back and I had relationships at the time and I used to think things like, Oh, maybe if I wasn't in this relationship, I could get so much more done and I could, (laughs) you know, do even more work and get even better grades and do things. And now I look back, I'm like, God, I'm really glad I enjoyed those. Like, I, I'm really glad I did those relationships while I was in my twenties because I had. When I look back at a lot of the best memories, all of them are basically experience based. They there's some that are yes. When I got my PhD, when I published my book with my brother, those were like really, really achie- great achievements that I'm proud of. But but I look back at the actual great memories, and they're they're fun. I was having with a girlfriend going on holiday. They're fun. Yeah with friends when me and you and the boys went to a ski trip and when we uh messed about with my friends on some of the like really mad nights at university those are the things where i i look back with kind of kind of wistfully about them and i'm like oh that was that was a fun time like those it's the times when i allowed myself to enjoy just enjoy the moment with those people you know or when we were at oxford it's like laying on a quad with the sun on you eating lunch with your friends messing about and telling stories those are like the fun yeah. memories of that period or going to a ball together so i do i do intend as i move forward to just not just take those and in, and completely be present and enjoy them and think these are these are really worthy valuable experiences there's not like i should be doing more work or being productive now um yeah yeah, it's definitely a good, definitely a good lesson to learn. I am um, kind of on that front. Well, sort of with the worrying or being stressful, a really sp- specific example that I struggled with, I think a lot more when I was younger, not like OCD at all, but just being super cautious and like checking things often and not really learning from it, you know, kind of doing it on autopilot. And I thought about this, the other week I was at the airport a couple of weeks ago and 
I just sort of put my passport in my pocket and I was like, okay, my passport's in my pocket now. Whereas when I was 19 or 20, if I'd ever go on a holiday or on a flight or something, I'd check my passport was there or make sure I had my ticket 15 times when I was at the airport. But I wouldn't see it was there and then go, okay, now it's there. And I was like, I don't know why I had that level of worry or insecurity. I don't know if it, it's more deep-rooted than that. But Is there, Are there other places it manifests itself? No, that, that is one of the more telling examples I can think of. It would be like I would be checking my pockets to make sure I have the things I'm supposed to have. And that might be a more deep-rooted, you know, I, I don't want to be the person that lets the side down or, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed because I'm – I'm the one who forgot his credit card or, you know, whatever it is. I think it, it might've had a deep seated, like a a deeper cause to it. But when I was younger and a bit more insecure, maybe I was more keen to check it, but yeah, it's just like what a waste of time is. It's not even the waste of time. It's like not, I think for me, the lesson really is that I wasn't learning from the process. You know, I've checked, I know it's there. So that's it. I don't need to check it again. I've done the test and it's like not learning from the process. Whereas, yeah, now I, I think I'm probably a bit better at doing that. I certainly, I really don't worry about that kind of stuff anymore. I wouldn't say that's in my nature at all. So it's, it's surprising to me when I think back that actually that was quite a prominent thing for me internally. Um, and I think I, I imagine a lot of the issues that people have at that age do just come from insecurity. Yeah. I mean, I, I've had a lot of, uh, when I was a teenager, I, looking back now, I think if I was my parents, I would have probably taken me to someone for OCD. Really? Uh, yeah. Just, just, just very irrational overchecking of lots of things. And, uh, yeah, but, but weird things like having to even touch something a certain number of times or turn the lights off like three times. And see, I've, I've never had it like that in the kind of diagnosis sense of it. It would always be, to me, what I would consider to be a rational worry, right? Like losing your passport at the airport is a rational thing to worry about. But after you've checked it, it's checked. That's that's kind of it. Yeah. I've never had the, oh, I need the lights to go off three or four times before I can leave the house. I'll see the, air, I'll see the airport one. I'm still, I'm, I'm putting my hand in my pocket for my passport just five times every sort of five <laughs> minutes. Like right. I'm just sticking it constantly. I'm like, okay, that's there. That's yeah. there. But dare I say, I'm much more prone to losing things than you are, George. Sure, okay. I'm much more clumsy and much more prone to, you know, I've lost a couple of pairs of sunglasses before in airports. Right, um, okay. You know, yeah. things like that. So I'm probably a bit more boobish than you. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, it's funny. A lot of it, you know, when I thought about this podcast, yeah, so much of it does relate to, and and this has become a bit of a. a do you know Bronnie Ware, George? Bronnie no, Ware. No. So she, there's this article that's that's been viral many times, and she actually wrote a book about it. But she was a, um, she's a palliative palliative care nurse basically who looks after people who are near death. Um, and uh, I don't know when she wrote this piece, but she talked about the five regrets of the dying. Oh yeah, okay. Um, and uh, one of the ones they talked about, the first one is, and it's become a bit of a cliche now, is people saying, I wish I had allowed myself to enjoy things more. Yeah. And it it's definitely when I look back, a lot of the things I think, I look back now and I'm like, that was a really cool, enjoyable time. I should have just been more relaxed, really. 
<laughs> there's always that feeling a bit of I never regret I never look back and go it's funny one of her regrets is I wish I hadn't worked so hard of, of what they're dying or wish I hadn't focused so much on work and actually I've not looked back and felt that actually I've looked back and been quite happy and proud that I spent time on things that I cared like I think I enjoy many things today because I focused on work in my 20s you know I, I managed to get to Oxford to do a PhD because I worked hard as an undergraduate I managed to write a book because I took on a challenge and so those things I don't feel regret for working hard but I do feel regret for um just not relaxing more yeah just not just not being so just just realizing all of this stuff isn't actually that big a deal and I'll figure it out whatever happens if I, if I don't get an A or a first class degree or this I'll figure things like think I'll be able to work hard enough and figure things out you know just sort of overstressing and constantly thinking like how is this going to turn out and is it going to you know is it going to come out exactly like I hoped it would and am I going to get the right commendations and I just think now I don't know I just think should have gone with the flow a bit mm-hmm. and just let it happen and that that's why nowadays I'm much more apt to just do things and say let's just do that and see how it goes and not really think about it. Like, you know, we made this podcast just because it's like, that'll be a fun thing to try and do and we'll just work hard at it and then it will do what it does. And that'll, you know, that'll be that, but not just not like obsessing over the results so much, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's kind of what I meant with the passport example in, in a strange way, like just try something. And then if you prove that it works, then everything's fine and you don't have to worry about it. Like give something a go. And if it, if it doesn't, it doesn't, but if it does, it does. That sounds like a really sort of trite sort of comment that doesn't mean much, but I sort of, you know, give something a go. And if it does work out then that's kind of great, but there's no big stress around it, especially for trying things that are a bit more, um, you know, not like, there's not a load of gravitas on it. If it's, oh, maybe I should just go to that party and I will have a good time. Well, yeah, if you go and it's good, then great. If it isn't, it's a party. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't have greater consequence. I, think, I mean, this podcast, right? Like we could have given it a go. It could have, the first one we did might have been rubbish. We just stop and we do something else. It turns out it's quite a nice process to do it. So we'll keep doing it. You kind of learn from taking part in something or doing it. You learn by engaging in that process. And I think I spent far too long at that younger age avoiding the process and therefore not learning. Um, and I think that was definitely to my detriment, but something I'm glad I, I snapped out of, but realized was not beneficial for me. Yeah. And I think you, I think you really have to keep in that stage of being, being attracted to what, like allowing something to excite you and just thinking like, yeah, it might, our, my friend, uh, well, my friend, our publisher, uh, Karen Rinaldi, who's a big publisher at HarperCollins, um, talks about the idea of why it's good to be, why it's good to suck at something, um, why it's good to do something you're rubbish at. And she talks about her lifelong battle with surfing and how she loves it, but she's not great at it, mm. but she kind of does it anyway. And just just uh that's actually really hard to do because i find it really difficult to do things that i'm not when i feel i'm not good at them but i definitely think the idea of being okay with you know a creative pursuit like i used to beat myself up thinking if i write short stories they they have to be amazing or it just 
is not worth doing at all. And it's just like, it's just such a, it's such an aggressive and demanding way to try something that is inherently risky anyway, which is anything artistic needs an element of like, your reach exceeding your grasp a bit and trying something. And, and if you just put that pressure that you have to be great, and, and There's great, so many great. Kind of parallel lessons, right, as well. Like writing a short story, if you just say it has to be kind of Pulitzer Prize winningly good or I won't bother, you write a bad short story, but you still learn something about either writing to a deadline or editing, or it might push you down a path of reading some short stories that you find enjoyable that open up an avenue of interest for you, right? Or her surfing, no doubt, is a social activity. It helps her travel, even if you're not good at that thing and that for me is what ties into that saying yes to stuff because even if you go to the party and it's not the best music or you don't meet anyone you might you know something else will come of it that you weren't even expecting and I think that's a, re a really big lesson that just putting these like limitations on yourself particularly when you're young is 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 so um it's so self-sabotaging yeah and I think the world definitely pressures you quickly nowadays to kind of you know, figure, quote, your passion out. And it can, you know, it's great to figure out something you're amazing at and double down on that. I totally, that's a very good strategy if you if you find that thing. But I do think it's a shame how quickly you can end up just closing off other avenues that might hold many, many other interesting rewards um, just because you think, well, I've decided I'm not good at that thing, so I better not even bother because... Yeah, you, you may meet really fascinating people or just just doing something once or twice or popping out some videos on YouTube or something may yield many, many results you wouldn't have anticipated just because you took a risk. And, and it's something that Adam Grant says in his book Originals, uh, which is about nonconformity and creativity. And he says uh, a lot of the people they studied who produced great work and, and some of the best masterpieces and most interesting things what they notice is it was just the people who produced a lot of work mm. and it was actually kind of this strange thing of quantity eventually leads to quality and that if you sort of try enough things you kind of inevitably stumble across something that's really worthwhile and really good if you um you know they would T.S. Eliot, I think it was, or different people they looked at, if they, you know, if they wrote enough or if they made enough films or whatever, something eventually they found their style or something popped or something worked. And, uh, you know, I've seen that over and over again with people. So I think you have to stay kind of fluid and open to things you might not have anticipated. Definitely, definitely. As, assuming you've got the means to be able to. But yes, absolutely agree with that. Um, so I've got another, well, I did, I did have one on my list, George, that was just women, exclamation mark. Struggled <laughs> in my 20s. Um, it's probably a, that's probably a whole podcast. Yeah, well, it was struggles and successes, I think. It was, my, my 20s was a long, I, I was a very, mm. late, very late bloomer in that, that respect. And um, God, yeah, it probably is a whole podcast of things I learned dating in my 20s. But um these are, these are PG-13, I think, so we need yeah. to... Definitely if anyone's dating now. I, I do think it's good to try relationships when you're younger and have the kind of freedom to see, you know, 
Yeah, I, I, I just think it's good for you in many ways because you learn a lot. I, I've seen some people who purposely keep out of relationships, maybe because they're ambitious or whatever in their 20s. And I'm never sure that's a great idea. I often think there's, a, there's, there's so much to learn about how to be good at relationships and so many stumbling things you have to go through that I look now and, okay, George, fair enough. I don't have a ring on my finger yet. I'm, I'm still, a, you know... Uh, yeah, uh, still a bridesmaid, but I feel much more equipped now for relationships because of all the things like finding out what I don't want, I guess, and finding out things, not even where something's wrong with the other person, but maybe I, you know, chose someone who wasn't compatible with me or chose things I thought I wanted that I didn't. I think that a lot of the relationships I look back on positively. So I, I do think trying, I, th- I think basically George, I'm going to say a cheesy thing, but I think when you get the opportunity to sort of be in love and have that experience, you should probably take it because I think as long as it's not destructive and as long as it doesn't, you know, it, as long as the relationship doesn't have any destructive or toxic quality, you tend to learn by, you know, going with your heart in those things, even if they don't work out. And uh, yeah, relationships teach you a lot. That's what an, an executive I spoke to at ABC told me that, George. She said, relationships expose you. And that's how you do all your growth is when you're exposed in a relationship. Um, don't know. Chew on that one. <laughs> Interesting. We're, I think we're quite different in that um in our outlooks on that issue, I think I'm definitely a lot more guarded, a lot more closed off. More so, choosy. Well, yeah, the, that in of itself. But um, well, there was a point to be to be more self-critical. There was a point where I realised I was now. I was there was a point where I realised there's probably some relationships where I I thought I allowed that without without being clear about what I wanted or without knowing what I wanted at the time. I I slept walked into that far too easily. That that happened more later on where I think I was too too careless in in thinking. Sometimes I would think yeah, this is kind of contradicting what I just said, but <laughs> bear with me. Um no one said this would be that clean, but there's definitely there's definitely times later on where I thought I should have known better and I should have just been a lot clearer. For, with myself from the start what I actually wanted like there might be things saying I can only focus a lot on my work right now I'm probably better off being single I'm probably better off you know not getting too deep into this and there have been times where probably out of some kind of comfort or probably some kind of neediness at the time I slipped walked into relationships where I probably could have been more yeah, just just maybe maybe it was a mistake and maybe I shouldn't have. So yes, I am contradicting what I said there, George, but that's fine. Um, it's your prerogative. Yeah, I, I I think again, I think this is where your gut comes in. I think actually, there are ones where I was just totally crazy for someone, and it was just like there it was just like of course I want to be with this person, but there were times when my gut was flaring up and telling me, hey, I'm not sure about this maybe you don't want to be in this right now or maybe you don't want to get serious or do this and I just kind of slept walked into it out of some kind of 
Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Probably some kind of definitely like diametrically opposite there. Like that thing I said earlier about like being closed off or just like choosing not to do things. I definitely that would be the case for me in that situation. I would just rather than sleepwalking into something, I would just avoid it to avoid the issues that would come from that i suppose so um yeah and that's that's probably not something that would change that's quite an ingrained quite deep-seated uh con- conditioning i guess so i would that's something that'd be very hard to shift but um it's not to say it's right or either of them is right or wrong but it's more for you as an individual right because prescribing these approaches for other people is entirely dependent on their own circumstances yeah and and i think you have to, I think you have to develop, this is one thing I realized, you have to develop your self-awareness to know what you want and I, and being very clear on that. And, and there was a good thing I read once that did change my thinking on this where, um, who was it? I, I think it was this guy, Derek Sivers, who got it from someone else, but he was saying big decisions in your life, not small ones where it's like, go to a party, why not? But a big decision should be like a hell yeah you know a hell yeah or a no it shouldn't really be a maybe i should get into this big deep long relationship because it's like who wants to do that on a sort of like 70 percent you want to the the better relationships i had were probably ones where it was a hell yes at the beginning and there was a lot less it was a lot less messy it was a lot more like of course i'm crazy about this person i want to be with them but yeah, and, and I think that's when feelings get hurt and miscommunication and things happen is when you're not entirely self-honest about what you want in that moment. Mm. And you, you know, yeah, you, you kind of allow yourself to get into things that maybe you weren't sure about to begin with. So, yeah, I, I would say to anyone in that case... Um, Hindsight makes hell, hell yeah. Hell yes or no, I would say, with relationships. Hindsight does make this difficult, right, though, because uh, you sort of learn. We're talking in hindsight about learning from mistakes, but then prescribing the advice is sort of trying to remove the mistakes from someone else's process, and then you're kind of limiting them from what they can learn. It's sort of a bit of a sword, really. It is. They, They do say wisdom comes from learning from the mistakes of others, though. So, I mean... Hopefully you can learn from some of mine, but uh, I, that, that's why it's a mixed bag because of course I feel, I feel wiser for it now. And obviously when you've done it yourself, you then feel very sure of what you know, but yeah. I, yeah, I, I definitely think I could have, I could have at times been more cautious on that front and been less. Um, yeah. Yeah. Just been more self-aware, more assertive about, what I wanted and yeah, just kind of been more fearless in saying it and just going and just being clear on that with people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. That's a good one. Yeah. Definitely a good one to reflect on. Um, slightly frothier one, Steve. I, when I was 20, I could not cook. Now I think I can cook pretty well. I wish I, I wish I could cook better or put more emphasis on learning to from an earlier age. I think it's a good, certainly a very good life skill individually and with social ramifications as well so uh yeah that's something that at the age of 20 i was inept at um i'm still a very very below average cook i'd say <laughs> sure uh got i've got that's one of those things where my incremental improvement has gotten very it's been very very gradual i mm-hmm. feel um 
yeah i you are good you know you're 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 versatile you can cook quite a lot of dishes can't you you can do yeah i'd say you know this is where you've got you've got more um grown-up skills than me george in that way <laughs> and that's one of them i think one of the lessons i learned for that that i've talked about this a few days ago and it's something that is really applicable to other things is particularly with cooking like you can't really make big mistakes and a reason I when I was younger I would avoid cooking would be oh I can't do that because I won't be able to exactly do what's needed and really unless you're making a souffle or you're doing some quite niche baking like it's all quite rough and ready you can you can make super tasty food without at all measuring the ingredients particularly or being super exact in what you're doing. It's, it's quite a forgiving process. And I think a lot of people put themselves off because they think, Oh, but I don't know. I don't know the recipe to make a roast dinner. It's like, Oh, there's not really a recipe to it. You just kind of combine a few different skills and ingredients together to get to an outcome. And that, that's definitely applicable in many other things in life. Like just get on with it because if you think, Oh, I can't specifically do this one fundamental, like one little aspect of it. So therefore I can't do any of it. That's just such a, such a, again, another really self-sabotaging way to be. I think just believe in yourself that you can do it and kind of muddle through. And then once you've done it once you'll learn from it and be able to do it again better the next time. And you can kind of iterate the process, I guess. Yeah, I think muddling through on things like that is very underrated where you can psych yourself out thinking you need some special expertise that you really don't. And also, I think because the way you psych yourself out is I can't do it. And I think if you then do it and it's, you know, 60% good, that's a lot better than the percentage that can't allows you to get to, right? You know, you've done 60% more than you thought you were capable of doing. That's like a massive massive achievement and then the next time you do it will be better and better so yeah that there's definitely a lesson there but yeah just practically learning to cook sooner rather than later is i found it to be really useful yeah i agree with that um and um wait i'm just looking at one oh one here well we've already talked about this in previous podcast you're just part of my plan for the year to do this which is a uh, which is coming into place as I think I figured out when, but is uh, traveling alone. Ooh. That's something I didn't really do in my twenties um, that I intend to do starting this year and just to actually have some experience of, yeah, just doing, doing solo travel. I think it's something that is a cool thing. It's quite doing, freeing, yeah. isn't it? I think when you're, when you're with other people, you're obviously kind of uh, not marching someone else's drum, but you always have to take into account someone else's needs or considerations. If you're by yourself, you can yeah, you completely set your own agenda. It's a very freeing, freeing thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, and just that thing again about it not being always about work and just being about other, other things, you know, other experiences that are valuable and important to try. Um, so that's one. Um, yes, but I would say to any, I mean, I don't know. I think our listeners are probably 20s, 30s, etc. It's um, It's definitely something where I, I come quite, I come quite boringly on the side of balance in these things in terms of fun and work. Because I think, 
I think some people think the 20s is the best advice to give people is to just kind of do whatever and have a lot of great experiences and enjoy being young and etc and I actually wouldn't tell my kids at all to do that I'd probably tell them to I, I don't I, I think there's a luxury and that any ground when you're young can be made up in a lot of ways there's there's mm. definitely sort of you've got a lot of time you've got a lot of time after to kind of make up for time you might if you feel behind or didn't get your education you could go back but I do think it's a mistake to make people write off their 20s as some kind of hedonism, you know, hedonistic, free of responsibility completely sort of period. Because I think that that any capital you build investing in, like you say, cooking, but anything in vaguely in skills that are going to be useful in a market, in like a market economy, like career skills, just something practical anything you can learn on that. Like I look back now and I think, man, there's so many, so much time I had to learn even more practical things that I could probably apply in many different job roles now. And I wouldn't have had to have done it at university. Could have just learned online. Um, could have been like just certain internet marketing things. Could have been business stuff. Could well, have you've you've completed all the Metal Gear Solid games. So straight <laughs> off for it. Uh, that is a hell of a that is a hell of an emotional experience. So, um, yeah. So I, I just look at those things and think those skills wouldn't have taken much investment, and they don't. Um, and yeah, I think I, again, this goes back to you can get stuck in assuming your current skill set is all you have. But you know, we've known a friend who basically taught himself coding through courses and now works in coding. And he didn't do computer science at university or anything, but it's kind of proof of like, if you just decide you can learn an entirely new skill set and start using that as your job. And I think that's an important thing in your thirties, even to not assume you're some, you're now some fixed set of talents and assets and you can't add to them, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think you can add a lot. Uh, you can add a lot to your skill set you're offering basically. Um, yeah, I think I just as a 20-year-old, you're not often, unless you're doing something very vocational, like you're doing a medicine degree or something like that, you're not mindful to to that, I think. Um, yeah, you just don't really have a kind of awareness of that. I, I certainly didn't. Whereas as I've gotten older and I've seen that different opportunities are available, or A, there's no kind of cap on when you can buy into that if you just apply yourself appropriately. And B, just sort of constantly learning is just really good like learning is really good i think when i was younger i was very like oh, i don't want to learn that i was quite closed off to th- even closed off to those kinds of things and now it's just really fun to learn new stuff um it took maybe i sort of realized that just slightly later than i should have done although i did learn it in in enough time to have applied it since but it would have been a nice lesson to have learned at 18 rather than at like 23 for example you learned that it was fun to learn things yeah i think i i learned that slightly later than maybe i should have done you know yeah yeah um well do you have more on your list uh i was bad when i was i was younger at things like taking compliments whereas now i think i'm i'm a lot more comfortable in that i think that's something that i used to find quite difficult taking compliments or even just being like being mindful of your insecurities and 
when they're addressed in a positive way or, or there's certain things you might be negative about that no one else is aware of or perceives, like own it a bit more probably. Um, I wasn't as good at that when I was younger. And I'm certainly better at that now. Were you good at giving compliments? Yeah, I think so. I don't think that's something I've struggled. I would have, I would have found it harder to be told something praiseworthy about myself and accepted it because I may have been slightly more insecure. Whereas I might see someone and think, oh, they've got everything together, you know, saying, oh, good job on that or that looks great or whatever might have been easier to do because I wasn't as mindful of the fact that they would be as insecure as I would be. Whereas really everyone, not everyone's insecure, but everyone's certainly more concerned about their own stuff than they are thinking, oh, he looks stupid or, you know, whatever it may be. So I think I would find it easier to give a compliment than receive it because I wouldn't perceive insecurity. I would just feel my own. So letting that kind of issue go was certainly a useful, a useful development. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. Giving, I think, I think I, I feel like I was probably worse at getting criticism. <laughs> mm. um, uh, I was probably, I've probably always been a little bit shy and uncomfortable about getting compliments, but, but probably also sought them out as well. Probably wanted that approval. Um, but um, yeah, I've learned. I, I mean, I opened this podcast up by saying I frankly I wanted to be criticised for a couple of things that probably needed needed to be criticised, right? Like it'd been better to have known those things than to live in ignorance, right? Um, yeah, because I've thought... been addressed them rather than yeah. pootling along oblivious. Yeah, that's true. I actually appreciate criticism more than I ever used to. I used to find it quite I used to get quite defensive I think and and now at least I appreciate maybe that's just a signal but you need to have a level of self worth or security to be able to receive criticism right like if you're in a in a pretty low space and you get criticized it's not as easy to roll with the punches whereas if you know well everything else is together I accept that and I can deal with it because I'm I'm comfortable elsewhere that's that does that is just the nature of growing up I think yeah, and you you do need a thick skin, and you need kind of you do need a kind of self worth to to think that this you you need to get even perspective on a criticism. Be like they're only criticizing this part; they're not like attacking my whole character. Soul, yeah, and maybe it's just a signal. Like it's like in some ways you can't take every compliment completely seriously. You can't take every criticism completely seriously because they're always a perspective, you know. And and you can't yeah. you can't get high on either. So you kind of have to. You just have to go, okay, maybe there's a signal that there's something there that I can do better or I can work on. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the longer, the longer lesson for me is kind of uh, sort of understanding that where someone else is coming from isn't or is really important in how you formulate that, either criticism or, or praise, because they're also coming from a position of either some insecurity or some overconfidence. It's not like you're the only one who doesn't have it together, but everyone else does. And I probably, when I was younger, thought, more that than anything else i didn't think that entirely but that sentiment probably did exist and it does make it hard to to own your own um, outlook as effectively as you should i think yeah yeah well you can you can definitely i'm much better now at going well i don't 
I don't respect a lot of that person's opinion, so I don't have to respect this one as well. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I go, why, why do I need to take this that seriously? It's just one opinion. Um, yeah. So you do need perspective. Um, um, do I have any others? I have... Yeah, the, well, the last one is probably one that a lot of people struggle with on that, which is um, just comparison of thinking that thinking that there's some kind of life race going on or there's some kind of um, comparing, well, there someone did X at this age and so that means I should have achieved this by this age. Or yeah, even such a stupid attitude. Yeah, totally stupid. I even used to do things like look at people... I admired on Wikipedia and be like, when did they do that? Oh no, they did it at 24 and I'm 24 now. So what does that mean? And just, just a constant sort of comparison. Paul McCartney was younger than both of us are now when he finished with the Beatles. Well, and I'm very grateful for what they gave. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So things like that, where you can just, just everything has a perspective. Everything has its own, you know, well, take that example, music or an athlete, right? It's like, well, yes, an athlete peaks at seven, uh, 18, 19, yeah, 20. Yeah, the nature of the beast. It's like, that's the nature of what it is. A lot of musical talent peaks early. It's like, and again, it doesn't even matter because anyone, any examples you find, there's counterexamples. There's many, many different um, ways to whatever, whatever you're trying to do. And it's just a kind of, it, again, if you look at a colleague or a contemporary and you go, well, so-and-so has just done that, so that's something about me. It's like, it just you live completely different lives and have completely different backgrounds, yeah. opportunities, contacts, things that have come your way. You've both worked differently. It's focused on different things. It's just a completely pointless, arbitrary thing. And um, and it's like, why why does it even matter what they're, you know, like, does it matter if you did this at 28 or 38? Like, what, what's the real thing you're actually measuring this against? Mm. And, and often I think it's a needless source of unhappiness for people of trying to make these constant benchmark comparisons. It's, it's cool to have your own goals and be like, I think I could do this in two years or five years. So that's what I'm going to aim for. But yeah, to make it this, um, to make it this game, where you have to outpace some other imaginary racer, I think is, yeah, it's just it's just a pointless recipe for misery. For sure. Um, okay. Well, we've said some things. Get a good haircut, learn how to tie a bow tie, make sure your suit fits, cook some uh, nice food. Yeah, job done. Relationships, hell yes or no. <laughs> um, don't, mess around with people's hearts and only check if you've got your passport on you once um yeah that's great (laughs) plenty of (laughs) takeaways there um and listen to your old guts because sometimes this thing is right um have you got any recommendations uh i did not put any recommendations together did you oh of course i did God, you cheated me. You didn't even remind me of them. Go on, what's your... Oh, it's my responsibility, is it? (laughs) Here we go. Uh, Book to read when you're about 20. I really recommend reading Brideshead Revisited. Uh, It's great. 
it's really great if you're a, if you're a, it's not one that you can really draw too many parallels with because rare is it that you would be a kind of Catholic alcoholic aristocrat, but um, it's, it's a great book about kind of growing up in a very specific world. Um, I read it at around that age and it, it certainly gave me the taste for more great literature. Um, and I thought, I thought that was a good age to read that book and it is an excellent book. So it makes sense to read it at a good time. Um, film, Steve. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Wonderful. Um, I mean, he's got some great life lessons and he, he's not really a man burdened by anxiety. So there's certainly a lot to be learned from him. Uh, and the album I've picked for that kind of age and growing up is, is uh, Funeral by Arcade Fire. I think it's a great album about um, casting off worries and anxieties and sort of embracing the future. All right, let me see if I can throw this in quickly, George. Um, book, I'm going to go What Makes Sammy Rung uh, by Bud Schulberg. Uh, that is a novel about someone who is a um, very ugly social climbing kind of workaholic um, trying to shove his way towards success. And it's kind of a sort of moral tale about... Um, you know, someone observing this person and and uh, what it brings him to. Interesting. Um, I've not heard of that. Okay. That's what makes Sammy run. Um, and then for film, I'm going to go for... Film, I'm going to go for... <laughs> Don't keep saying it. Coming of age... I'm gonna go for gonna go for Good Will Hunting, George. Lovely. Okay, that's good. That's, that's, nice. your, that's your coming of age film. Um, and album, lovely youthful album. Twenties. Um, it's gonna be just just a great banger of a. It's a, it's a film about sort of being in your mid twenties and being a bit film or an album. Um, it's an album from the film. Okay. Uh, it's the Scott Pilgrim versus the World soundtrack. Oh, very nice. So I've banged those out. <laughs> Google, I can hear you Googling them. <laughs> um, all right, everyone. Thanks for joining us. And uh, whether you're in your 20s, 30s or 40s or 50s, I think there's plenty. No, old, no older than that. I mean, if you're older than that, let us know because, I mean, <laughs> this is what hell of a demographic we're spreading. Dad? <laughs> Um, no ch- absolutely no chance he's listening <laughs> at least we can say what we want about your dad <laughs> um, alright everyone thanks for joining keep learning cheers guys bye bye <laughs>